Hello and welcome to our newest Zing Learning podcast, A Conversation With. In today's episode, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Danielle and Ben, who are the co-founders of Found by Few. Found by Few is a fantastic recruitment agency that works within the creative fields to really place amazing talent into really amazing businesses. Now, the best thing about Found by Few is the way in which they approach their recruitment, the way in which they support employers and, of course, their candidates. And they do this in a way to really enhance diversity in the creative space as well. So hopefully you're going to enjoy some of the fantastic things we talk about today. There's some really great tips in there as well for employers, some really great ways in which we can start to think about recruitment in a slightly more progressive way as we move forward. So grab a cuppa, kick back and have a listen. Welcome, Danielle and Ben. I'm going to talk to you both about some really cool things that you're doing in the recruitment space today. But I think first, if it's okay with you, do you want to just introduce yourselves to the listeners? Tell us a little bit about um, who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Zoe. And thanks for having us on your your podcast today. We're really happy to be here. So I'm just going to jump straight in. I'm Danielle. I'm a co-founder and CMO at Found by Few. I head up our marketing and our commitment to building a diverse and inclusive workplace. Excellent, thanks. Hi Zoe, Um, I'm Ben. Uh, Yeah, another co-founder in Found by Few. My background is um, entirely in recruitment. I've been in the industry for for 16 years um, as a consultant, as a director in another business, and for the last year, the CEO and and proud co-founder of of Found by Few with Danielle. Excellent. Yeah, I'm so chuffed to have you both on today because I think what we're going to talk about, of course, is recruitment and some of the aspects to do with um, the lack of diversity in lots of different spaces. But I also know that you have very different experiences and you're going to have very different perspectives. And I think that's going to be quite interesting for the listeners and the different employers and people like that that are going to be listening to this. So let's just dive straight in. And I'm going to ask you, and and this is definitely out to both of you because you're co-founders, but what makes Found by Few different to other recruitment organizations? And you'll notice I use the word organizations rather than agency there. I don't know whether that's right. I don't know whether that's the way you position yourselves. But yeah, just what makes you different to to other recruiters? Great question, Zoe. So I'm going to start on this one. One thing that makes us us different is is the fact that we've got a co-founder, myself, that has zero recruitment experience and doesn't have (laughs) a background in recruitment. But what I do have is the experience of being a candidate and being on the other side. And I've worked with some amazing recruiters who have, the experience has been great, but unfortunately I've had some some awful experiences too. And I'm able to bring that experience and that insight, sorry, that's um, my dog in the background. <laughs> that's the dog. <laughs> yeah, that's the dog, uh, in, into, the, into the business and so we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're a recruitment agency. We use a recruitment agency model. We think it's a great model that brings immense value to, to businesses. 
For example, you know, in the short space that we've been running, we've doubled the size of some product and design teams. So yeah, the model is is great and and yeah, we 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 are a recruitment agency first and foremost. Um, but one thing that makes us different and one thing that we're really proud of is the fact that diversity, equity, inclusion is is baked into into our company from the beginning and it informs everything we do and we champion it in everything we do, whether it's our marketing, whether it's with our clients and our partners and internally as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, good luck following that, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I guess what I would just add to that is we see ourselves as, as super privileged to do recruitment. Like we're in an amazing position where we get to help amazing companies grow and we get to help amazing uh, candidates get get jobs. What we also want to do with that privileged position is like we are like in this amazing uh, amazing position where you get two perspectives. And one thing that my experience in recruitment taught me is that companies really, really want to be better with regards to DE&I. But one of the issues that you've got is sometimes people don't know where to turn. And I'm sure you experience this. So don't know where to turn, don't know where to look and don't know who to talk to. And I felt that recruitment companies had this amazing position that they could really yeah, capitalize on and, and do better with. And so we wanted to create a brand, a recruitment company where, yeah, you can come to us for for like great staff. But also, if you are struggling with DNI, that there's a recruitment partner that you can turn to who can give advice, basically can help you with that journey. Or alternatively, you know, your brand and you've got amazing values with regard to DNI. Why would you then want to partner with a recruitment company that is pretty kind of like bland, opaque, and doesn't get it? So, like, yeah, we we haven't reinvented the wheel with regards to to recruitment. Like, our business model is exactly the same as most other recruitment agencies. But I would just say that look, perhaps our values and and the the service that we feel we can offer is different to some some recruitment companies. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so interesting because you've got okay. So there's so many things I want to pick up on there. There was something around the idea of the the supplier the partner um, relationships that we have with other organisations, and and we were running a session last week for Impact Brixton, funnily enough, um, and we were talking about how you can ethically grow or, or at least maintain your business in a, in a human way and a big part of that is partnering with other suppliers or organizations or, or whatever it might be that have very good values they seem to be aligned to your sort of um, thing so like you say it's not just about people wanting to step into the the DEI mindset when they're recruiting it's actually people that are already doing it and they want to make sure they continue to do that. So that's that's really great. You've also, you've both mentioned there um, a little bit about the values. You've both mentioned there that you want to kind of do something a little bit more than you would expect from most recruitment agencies. And I'll use that term, that recruitment agency. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're, not, we're not embarrassed or afraid to be called a recruitment agency. No, no. And you shouldn't be. And it's, it's so interesting because, Danielle, one of the first things you said was that you've had some not so great experiences as a candidate. And I think anyone that's listening to this now can resonate with that. I think I've definitely had some experiences when I was uh, looking for employment where it's just been hideous, but I've also had some amazing experiences. And I can remember that person's name. I remember exactly the company that they worked for. And actually when they left that company, 
I followed them because they genuinely believed in me and they could see my potential. And I think that there's something in that with regards to diversity and inclusion, because a lot of the time there's a lack of representation in organisations, which means that people aren't necessarily given a chance and therefore they don't necessarily have the experience, but they do have the potential. And I think that there's something in that that recruitment agencies seem to be missing out on. And it's a real challenge for a lot of employers to change the mindset of it's not just experience alone. There's lots of other aspects that need to be looked at. I've loved watching your agency grow and so quickly uh, in the last kind of 12 or so months. And the sort of people that are working with you and the way in which you go about business, I think, is quite inspiring. Um, So my next question was going to be how important is diversity to you and the way that you do business? But I guess, (laughs) I guess we'd probably say it's quite important. But why, why is it so important to you that diversity is, is so at the core of what you do? It's a huge question with like so many different answers. And there's so many like, there's not just a one off thing why it's really important to us. I would say that even if you forget the kind of like, the the ethical the moral the social positives that come out of good dni i would say that even we run a business that's based in brixton in south london if we aren't able to create an environment where a diverse set of people are able to flourish and be good at their job then we are wasting what is like a huge talent pool in south london of potential employees for us that would be amazing for us but if we don't have the environment that lets them thrive then we're, we're completely missing out like for us to be a great company, we have to create an inclusive culture where people can thrive. So I think from that standpoint, for us as a business, in terms of us growing and hiring staff, it's incredibly important. I think then from another business perspective, if if our company doesn't reflect the diversity of our candidates and our clients, then how can we best serve them? So yeah, like outside of like, this is stuff that we generally believe in and we're passionate outside of work from a purely business perspective. Like it doesn't make any sense not to try and build a diverse and inclusive culture within our company. I could go on for a long time, but I would say they're like just two like bits that, that jump into my head straight away. And I can't understand why if you have a business in London and you've got 8 million people on your doorstep from all walks of life, from everywhere, like you wouldn't try and create a culture that can just harness that talent. And, and that's what we're trying our best to do, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that term, harvest that talent. I might steal that one. Yeah. <laughs> I actually said harness, but yeah, take yeah. harvest. <laughs> yeah. You hear what you want to hear, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um and yeah, so I'll just I'll just add to that. We obviously we have we're based in Brixton, we have now a business based in Lambeth. Being someone that is born and bred in Lambeth, diversity, equity, inclusion, DEIB, you know, whatever term you like to, to call it. That has just been the a normal life for me, it's everyday living, you know, growing up in Streatham, one of the most diverse areas in London. Yeah, diversity was just an everyday life, it, you know, in, in my school years and every aspect of my life until I stepped into an, a London office. And that to me is alien, whereas, you know, the office space being quite homogenous is seems to be the norm to someone who's actually grown up in in a city London that is completely alien Um, and that is something I very passionate about changing and and being a force for change in that and and yeah that is 
I guess that is, um, I hope that gives a good uh, idea of what why diversity, equity, and inclusion is so important to me because that is that is my my life, that is my experience. Um, so why would I not want to to champion it and change it for 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 the good of everyone? I completely agree that idea that you grow up and and I'm I love Lambeth. You know, I, I didn't grow up here, but I I grew up here if you know what I mean I grew into an adult when I moved here I realized how fantastic this place is there's something around the idea of you're you're around people like you in your everyday you then step into corporate London or London offices or, or creative spaces whatever it might be and all of a sudden you're the odd one out and you're just thinking, huh, how did this happen? I'm in the same city. I've just got a train or a tube for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, I'm not seeing people like myself. So, you know, I'm a massive believer that representation is so vital, uh, especially in careers, because what we do see, and, and I have this a lot with, uh, not fortunately, not my clients, but whenever I talk to new clients, they'll be like, actually, we've got some really great levels of diversity. And I'm like, brilliant. Let's have a look at how that progresses through the organization. And let's have a look at if there are any barriers in place um, or invisible spaces in place that are going to stop people from this wonderful diversity at those entry-level roles, at those kind of lower-skilled or lower-level roles. And then what you see, and you've got that homogenous again, so the idea that everybody is the same as we get up towards those more senior or more specialist roles. So it's really hard to deny it at that point. You know, it's really hard to say, no, my organization is really diverse because we have lots of different people working here. That's great. But are they moving up? Are you progressing those people? Are they having the same opportunities? And actually when they're here, do they feel welcome? Do they feel part of the success of the organization and, and things like that? So I can't even imagine what it must have been like to walk in off the streets of Lambeth where you are just um, another person walking around in the, the wonderful smorgasbord of South London and then into those spaces. It's not enjoyable, so that makes sense as to why this is so important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't... I, obviously, in a lot of what we what I talk about publicly on LinkedIn and... And a lot of messages I try to raise awareness um, around. It is really difficult articulating that experience and putting it into words. Um, but it's great to see that it's resonating with a lot of people. And yeah, I just try to make sure that I can raise as much awareness as possible, but also help people turn that awareness into action as well. That is when I am the happiest, <laughs> when I see actual action around it and that is something we are very much committed to as well there's something around that having that meaningful work right so knowing that you're helping candidates that perhaps wouldn't have got a look in from some of these um, organizations and because you've built such a strong relationship with your your clients and the the employers you're working with they're going to listen to you. You're going to put great people forward that they may not have considered before. And those people are going to do an amazing job. They're going to progress through the organization. That is action in itself, right? You know, aside from all of the other stuff, that's action. Yeah. And and, and I think like you, you asked us earlier, like, like what, why are you different to, to most recruitment agencies? 
but we are a recruitment agency. So we are still beholden to our clients. Ultimately, we can only put candidates in front of our clients. They can only make decisions. So myself and Danielle were always like, well, look, what can we be doing? What are we, what are we like in charge of? What do we have like proper ownership, proper agency on? And our communications is one of those things. Like, as I said, we are in a really privileged position where we're in between candidates and clients. That means like our network is amazing. It's looked at by managers and it's looked at by candidates. At the minimum as a company, we make sure that we're, we're talking about issues that maybe people don't feel they have the confidence to do because mm-hmm. they're in another company. And if they wrote a post about some of the things that Daniel talks about or some of the things that we talk about, they might feel, you know, I could lose my job or I don't want to, you know, I don't kind of want the heat from this post. So we try to write about things that other people may not be in a position to talk about. And at the minimum, we know that our clients are seeing it. They know our values. We know our candidates are seeing it. They know our values. And it just means both people are way more comfortable, but both sets of people are way more comfortable talking about us, talking to us about some of the issues that they're facing, whether it's in the interview process, whether it's in their current role. Um, and yeah, so like we, we have this question constantly, like what more can we be doing? Because we are an agency, we need clients to hire our staff to get paid. But at the minimum, we are in charge of our communications and we try to make sure that, yeah, I've had people come to me and go, you're not worried about this stuff that you talk about, it could turn clients off. And I'm like, no, 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 that's perfect. If it does turn clients off, then they're not the right client for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, that's not the feedback we get at all. We get messages from people like, you know, they won't necessarily write it on LinkedIn, but we'll get messages from people going, oh, my God, you raised that issue. I've never thought about it like that. Like, I'm really, really grateful. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do generally believe, and I generally believe, from like 15 to 16 years in, in recruitment, most people are good people when they want to do better. There are bad managers. Like, of course, they're bad managers, but there's bad people everywhere. But most people, they want to be better. And it's like, unless they read these posts, unless they understand, like, you know, people's experiences, then they can't be better. And so, yeah, we just try to raise these issues as much as much as we can. Yeah. You've, you've used the word privilege a few times, which is always something that I spend a lot of time helping people understand what that means because people kind of get a little bit tense when they hear the word. Um, but there's something there about being aware of of the privileged position you have between your candidates and, and the organisations, but also the platform in which your voice is going to be heard. You know, like you said, you've got 15 to 16 years of experience in recruitment. Danielle, you've got tons of years of experience in the that kind of marketing mindset and understanding how to communicate with people mm-hmm. you put that together people are going to listen to what you're saying so you've got this amazing platform and I do think that when we understand what our power is what our privilege is how we can utilize our platforms and then we use it to educate other people that's so powerful it's so huge. It makes such a difference to people, probably more so than we'll ever realize. But it's so great that you're getting that feedback from people because that's obviously going to encourage you to continue to do that, even on those tough days when things are really hard mm-hmm. and, and you've maybe had an organization that you you wanted to work with. It turns out that their values don't align to yours and, and something isn't as enjoyable as you would like it to be. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. What's um? What's the... And I will have to be careful with this, of course, because we don't want to mention any names. But what's been the most contentious topic that you've talked about online or with an employer, maybe directly? Is there been something that the people just are like, no, don't want to talk about this at all. This is not something that we want to kind of become aware of. Our clients normally like 
one of the things is like, hey, yeah, how do we get more diverse candidates? How do we, yeah, like, how do we like start this process? And and there is no like silver bullet to hiring more diverse candidates. And also, if you think diverse candidates in quotation mark are one group of people that all think and act the same, then you're not going to succeed. But yeah, I guess when we like we make suggestions, you know, for example, like remote working is one of the quickest ways <laughs> that you could build a more diverse team. And then people are like, well, we want people in the office five days a week. Go get us, still go get us this like broad range of candidates and we try and explain that hey look you know being in the office five days a week tends to suit a certain type of person yeah I, I would guess they were the most like contentious arguments like I really do mean most of our clients are really good people and they want to be better like I don't I don't think that we've I mean Danielle will probably speak differently about like what's the most contentious contentious thing that perhaps she's raised online and perhaps had the most questions about but in terms of conversations with our clients yeah, it's like they're normally really positive. I, g- I generally mean people, like most of our clients want to be better. Mm. The most frustrating conversation would be the lack of remote working and how that really does affect the team that you build. That would be the, the most frustrating conversation and people yeah. just needing to understand. Going into the office five days a week does tend to suit white men because that is like the predominant culture. That's who's not looking after the kids. That's who's, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, that, you know, that's who wants to go to the pub after work and do that kind of social socializing. Um, obviously, I'm speaking in massively gen- generalized terms. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's just trying to say that, look, you know, that, that way of thinking that is going to bring you towards a certain type of person. I don't know if yeah. that answers your question, but I'd say that, that's probably, it's probably one of the more like that common frustrations yeah frustrations yeah yeah Yeah. it's um daniel definitely want to come to you but i just want to just finish that off just by saying that this is a hundred percent what is out there on social media isn't it like it constantly gets talked about the fact that you know we don't need to be in the office five days a week anymore yes it's good for for morale to bring people in from time to time but actually people have changed the way they work now and they've realized that they don't have to be late to pick up the child from nursery or they don't have to this that and the other but I do think there's something really interesting in that but also the the concept of tradition and legacy I think is in there and I think that's a real challenge with people's mindsets especially if they didn't suffer in the first place by going in five days a week if they didn't find it challenging in the first place why would they then understand different perspectives and why that is different but thank you yeah Danielle I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one I think, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, you've got to kind of tread carefully with, with this one. <laughs> but I would I would actually say that every topic, um, more or less, that I talk about publicly is, is contentious. You only have to look in the comments section of one of my posts and, and see the arguments <laughs> happening um, between different people um, with different views. And yeah, I I would say that if a conversation makes you feel uncomfortable, then it's probably a conversation that needs to be had. And that's what I love about um, my job and and what we do and what we talk about, because a lot of the experiences that people think don't happen because they don't happen to them go under the radar and people don't think they happen and they don't exist. But they do exist, and I feel and I feel like people need to be made aware of that. Um, and if it causes some upset or makes people feel a certain type of way, well, you know, your five minutes or one minute of feeling a bit awkward. Imagine what that's like for someone who has to feel that every single day of their yeah. their working lives. Um, 
Yeah, I would say I, I couldn't really pinpoint like what I couldn't say one topic was more contentious over the other. I'm trying to think. I, I would imagine that from memory, some of the, the points that are more about intersectionality would perhaps be most contentious. For yeah. example, if Danielle would be talking particularly about uh, experience of black women in the office, in the workplace, it's sometimes other women that are like, you, you know, that, that perhaps maybe will will diminish the element of race in that that argument. And and that understandable, obviously, women are still face massive issues in the workplace. Those comments tend to, to or those posts tend to draw out some some interesting responses. Yeah, and obviously, you know that Danielle, I stalk you on LinkedIn anyway, so <laughs> I'm always seeing your posts come up, and I'm always commenting if I if it resonates with me or if I think, wow, that's incredible that you've used your voice and put yourself out there and done that brave thing because it is brave. You know, it's only on social media, but it is real life. This is stuff that is happening on a day to day. You did a post recently about some of the misogynistic comments and I guess you could go as far as to say sexual harassment on social media. Mm. And the comments that came underneath it were just wild sadly not unbelievable sadly not unbelievable and at that point I'm just like what are you to know you have to stand up and say something about this I think there's so many elements to this especially in the work that you're doing because obviously you want to weed away the type of organizations that don't align with your values because you don't want to set up fantastic candidates to go and work in those just toxic environments, let's be honest, um, in a lot of cases. But also you've got the element of knowing that you've got this platform and, and this privilege for people to be able to hear what you're saying. But I'd be interested to know, Danielle, because the intersectionality piece is, is so important. And I love that you talk about all these different elements with it. And I think that that's really inspiring for most women to see, unfortunately, sometimes, like you say, when when it's not our lived experience, we can have a bit of a closed perspective on it. But I think what you're doing is you're you're slowly widening people's um, peripheral, if you like, around these things and starting to help them understand it a bit more. But what do you do? Because you're on socials quite a lot. You're out there. You're doing some fantastic things by found by few. You're making sure that your storytelling is getting through so people understand where some of those challenges lie. How do you deal with people being like that on social media? How do you kind of keep your mental well-being topped up? (laughs) Well, um, I try to book in um, monthly massages. Um, No, joking, no. Um, So, yeah, no, um, being more vocal and more public um, was never my intention with with, um, this business and, and joining the business. But sometimes, you know, not necessarily fall into things, but yeah, I have a lot of things, um, stories to tell. And I really am passionate about this. I mean, previous employers and colleagues that have worked with me would tell you that um, people have said to, to me to stop banging on about these topics all the time at work. So it is a very, my passion, a part, part of my identity. So I think because I, I'm so passionate about it that helps me push through a lot of the the anxiety and the mental health I guess problems that that comes with with being so public but yeah every time I post something 
the anxiety is there. It is very nerve wracking because you don't want to. These topics are really sensitive and you, you don't want to offend people. You don't want things to be miscommunicated. Yeah, you do feel like there's a, you know, can be a lot of pressure. But at the same time, yeah, some things need need to be need to be said and need to to be out there because one thing that does really help say if someone's trolling me or like um sending me like awful messages is all the positive messages I get people send me so many positive and just really lovely uh, messages like direct messages um on LinkedIn and it's not all people that look like me or have the same ethnicity or gender as me. It's it's white men as well. I would actually say that 50% of the messages I get are from um, white men and people that don't look like me telling me about an experience they've had um, or telling, you know, explaining to me why a certain message or post really resonates with them and how it how what I've said or or something they've read has helped them in a situation so yeah I think sometimes people feel like DEI is is for underrepresented people but actually there are a lot of there are a lot of white people (laughs) I'm trying to think of like a word but yeah there are a lot of white people and the dot you know the dominant group that really care about this and actually look for companies that have these values when they're job job searching I know that I've definitely spoken to people that will not work for an employer that doesn't have DEI values or or policies in place Mm, Um, yeah yeah wow I ask I ask for a few reasons I ask because obviously I'm constantly seeing found by few all over social media which is really nice and I love your posts. I love the way that your values come out in everything that you communicate out there. And obviously I see you around the office as well because we, we work in, uh, in the office near yours. So I, I see this consistent approach to things. Uh, but I also know how difficult it can be because of the work that I do and how it takes a real toll on you. So I was really glad to hear that we have the same thing which is that we're just so passionate about it that even on those really tough times when for me it's different you know I've had a very tough workshop perhaps that I've had some people just keep coming at me and, and denying the statistics denying other people's experiences and things like that and that can really really take it out of you um and I feel like social media is at exactly the same level and um, mm. just in a slightly different way yeah I would just add to that, that I'm quite lucky that I have an amazing team around me that um I can lean on if if something happens where someone's jumped in the comments and you know is being rude or denying an experience and also the people that uh, are connected with me and follow me they're also my biggest advocates I don't even have to say anything they just jump straight in there and and, uh you know with some great uh either defending me on on a on a point Mm. or bringing some more evidence and 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 backing up you know uh any points that I've made so yeah I in in terms of like something that allows me to like keep my mental health in check and do the job well is the fact that I've got this community around me the community that we've built up over the 
the last year. Yeah. And also that, you know, the 50% of people sending you the messages, the those kind of allyship mindsets and, and how can I support this better? And what you're doing is creating this awareness and this education around topics that some people have got no perspective on at all. So you're slowly chipping away at what their view of that thing was. And it's really interesting. There's something else around. And I, uh, I do want to move on to some other questions, but this is just so interesting for me and, and hopefully for the listener as well. But there's something also around that concept of looking internally if something angers you uh, around somebody else. So I've had a conversation with with family members before around the concept of gender identity and fluidity and things like that. And there's been members of my family that have got very angry at the, at the conversation because they're like, I just don't get it. Why can't people just be this or this kind of thing? Mm. So I've just said to them, well, why don't you look, why don't you look inwards to figure out why are you so angry about this? Yeah. Why, why in the core of your stomach is this making you so angry at this other person about something that has absolutely nothing to do with you and it doesn't affect your life in any particular way so it's it's a really interesting one and I you know this is the sort of thing on social media that if I get negative comments and things like that I've got this need to educate people to do that self-reflection that need to get people to look inwardly because nine times out of ten that will help us to figure out the answer to why we feel so strongly about something that we have no kind of experience of. Yeah, I'm just intrigued because I know that that's the reason that I keep going. Um, and I was going to ask what keeps you going when when things are really tough, but I think you've probably just answered my question there with regard to the passion and, and things like that. So instead, what I'm going to ask is, what is the absolute highlight of the work that you both do what is it that drives you on a day-to-day basis with your candidates with your clients in general I mean I am a a recruiter at heart so so placing people into a job that they like and you get them a pay rise and the company's super happy with them I still get an absolute buzz off that that's Mm. that's 100% what gets me up in the morning what I would say just to add to that is that obviously now as a a, like an owner of a business I kind of like live that buzz vicariously for who our staff so seeing them be good at their jobs seeing them get like reviews on google with people saying hey look I, this experience that i had with you was amazing seeing clients come back and say hey this you know this person that works for you is great like that gives me an absolute buzz like i like mm-hmm. yeah i love that so like i i really really like and if you meet if you know anyone that's ever worked for me or, or speaks to me like i believe that recruitment is an amazing job like if you like doing a good job for people you've got a bit about you where you can you know you can influence you can yeah you can get passionate about other people you're interested in other people like it's an amazing job and I feel really passionate about that and I love teaching the job to other people and show them how they can build a career from it so I I would say that that is what yeah gets me up in the morning and then there's loads of like added bits to that which is like yeah like hey I do also believe that as a recruiter other than just placing people we have like a wider like a wider purpose, like a wider, there's more that we can contribute than just placing people into jobs. Um, and, and we try and do that. I do also believe that, yeah, like the, the world of work is changing and that when you run a business now, it's not just about making like as much profit as you can and making everybody, everybody else's life hell. I think it's about like, hey, how can we run a sustainable business where the people that work in the business can enjoy their life, earn good money at the same time, be proud of their job, not go into the workplace and have to deal with with shit 
um, that perhaps had to deal with outside of work. And that mm. your job as a business owner is to create a sustainable business, but also create an environment where people like, yeah, can enjoy their life. Like, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and that, that like seeing other people be good at their job and yeah, seeing our staff go work from Porto or Berlin or, you know, go meet friends that they wouldn't have, they'd have had to book off holiday to do before, whatever it is. That really, really, really gives me a buzz and, and like what motivates me. I think that's going to be music to, to most candidates' ears because I, I think I can speak for most people when I say most recruiters, or at least most of my experiences with recruiters, have been very sales-driven. It didn't feel like a very personal experience. It didn't feel like they really cared about helping me or helping the organization. They were just chucking my CV at anyone. Um, and I think that I know recruitment feels like it's moving more towards this way. So it's nice to see that you're kind of trailblazing the way for other people to follow. And I think that in itself has got to give you massive sense of pride in the work that you're doing. Yeah. And, and I also think it's a necessity. You have to, you, you spoke earlier about like legacy and people dealing with like, um, sort of legacy of the industries that they're working in. You, you have to think of in recruitment in like the, the 1990s, early 2000s, like recruiters were the people with the database. You had to go, if you wanted to hire someone, you had to go to a recruitment agency. They had the database and therefore they were in, you know, in complete charge of this data. And the whole, whole idea is, you know, you would just be shipping stuff out and you'd be making placements and nobody else could go anywhere else. And that kind of environment tended to promote like quite macho masculine traits of like ruthlessness, like moving people out the way to get to the fax machine to send over those CVs. You know, like you had to be in the office to send the CV. So working super long hours and, you know, taking managers out, you know, going on big drinks and like, hey, like, you know, sorting these clients out. But the world of recruitment is changing because everybody in our industry is on LinkedIn. So it, it's not that companies don't have like, you know, access. To, we were all using the kind of like same database, if you will. And therefore you have to, you have to offer something different. You know, you have to really be specialists in your field. Your candidates have to know that they can trust you and go to you because you know what, you know what you're talking about. Your clients yeah. have to go to you. And, and if it was just like any job that they could fill without it being a specialism, they probably wouldn't need you anyway. So you have to really be a specialist in your field now and you have to add value to client and candidate. Otherwise, you just have no need to exist. So like we've asked, like when we hire now, rather than looking for like traditional traits of yeah ruthlessness, money hungry, if you just treat everybody like money, yeah, you are going to get the service that you just mentioned. But we try to hire people who like, yeah, yeah, compassion, driven to want to do a good job for other people. And what we tell them is, look, if you do that, then the money will come. You know, and you can you'll get paid what you should do, mm -hmm. but we try not to hire as like the only thing that matters is money because then we you just treat people like money, and actually that doesn't really work out. And that that certainly comes through in everybody that works with you and and the way that you do your business, definitely. Danielle, what about you? Yeah, so um, what gets me out of bed in the morning? Um, it might sound really cheesy, but I. I love making people happy. So obviously my specialism is in marketing, B2B marketing, and I love marketing. I love design. I love designing things. I love writing. I love everything that marketing encompasses. But at Found by Few, a big part of my role is people management and making people happy and making sure that our staff are well cared for and looking after their well-being I love it 
I love the fact that, um, you know, if someone comes to me with a problem or uh, someone wants something, I can make that happen. Or And then if I can't make that happen, I will find a, an alternative or some kind of solution to making them happy. I love planning all our team socials and, yeah, and just looking at what benefits and perks we can give to people. And a big part of what I do is is relationship building. And I feel like in the pandemic, obviously lockdown, a lot of us were, well, I was ex- experiencing a lot of loneliness and, and yeah, and I think I did a lot of soul searching. And the one thing that I knew that I needed in my career and my, my job is the human connection, but relationship building. And over the past year, I've been able to build relationships with not only our staff, um, our clients, but also just people in in the in our space and in the whether it's in the DEI space, whether it's LinkedIn friends. Um, I just love, yeah, building relationships with people and seeing how we can collaborate. That's something that makes me happy. That's uh, the word that's coming through, and it's no surprise that every single podcast that we record at Zing, humans, <laughs> human, 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 we all have that in common, no matter what industry we're in, no matter what point we're at in our career, you gotta, you got to treat people like humans, and you've got to, that human connection, regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or, or where, wherever you're at with your seniority and your specialism, the human element is always there. So I think, yeah, it's really interesting. I had a conversation with someone that I work with at a woman's centre, uh, Baytree in, in Brixton, and she was talking about the human element that sometimes people kind of dehumanise others, especially when they're very different to themselves. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that this human element is coming out for both of you, considering how important diversity is to you, the way in which you run your business. And it is a business, you know, yeah, okay, we're talking about the human element, talking about the social impact that we're making, but ultimately you are a business and you're making a difference in meaningful work, not just to local communities, but genuinely to people's careers and then the people that follow after them and the people that follow after them. So yeah, it's it's just really lovely to to kind of hear that and, and that whole human thing really resonates with me. Now, you talked a little bit earlier about one of the challenges is the five-day working week from the office. That's still a mindset that some employers are struggling to kind of move away from. But is there another challenge? Is there a blockage somewhere that you think is really starting to prevent diversity from coming into, whether it's into the creative industry, whether it's progressing through or, or any industry? So what kind of challenges or barriers do you think of really blocking that diversity from coming in in the first place? Okay, so what like as a as a recruitment company, we like obviously we charge to place people. So clients tend to only come to us for kind of like mid to like very senior level. We don't do that much at the junior side because people don't normally want to pay agencies for junior stuff, which is completely understandable. So we're not a, so in terms of that first like jump into uh, a job um like what, what's blocking people at that stage we're probably not the best people to speak about or speak to about however like it's something we're extremely passionate about and all the content that, that we 
provide and if we give like spare time to anyone it's to try and encourage motivate and give confidence to people to look for these jobs because it is a really high paying sector that we operate in um and to to to, to get into to, to keep going to get their first job so i guess in terms of what's blocking those people we're probably not best sort of the best people to speak about what's then blocking people from hiring kind of mid seniors leads well there's there's a number of different issues because like we, I mentioned this earlier, like the diverse candidates are not one set of, of people. But if we took away from the remote working, I think things that do kind of like stop people like thinking differently is like people just expecting like, Hey, Hey, like you sent us this CV with this experience. Can you just send us like pretty much the same CV, but you know, someone that isn't a white male. And a lot of our time it's like, well, yeah, like if you do want like, I don't know, 10 years experience in finance, this is going to really send you towards white male candidates because, you know, finance <laughs> 10 years ago was less diverse than it is now. So th- th- these kind of things where like, yeah, like, like hiring diverse candidates isn't just asking for the same CV, but of a woman, of someone that isn't white, is, a, you know, wh- whatever it is. And, and that's one of the main things that, you, yeah, you have to be more open. Like, where do you want to hire from? You have to kind of like change your mindset. It's not a case of just getting... It's not like recruitment agencies have all these CVs and we're just sending the male ones, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, you know, you have to open your mind to where this experience would have come from. And do you really need these skills? Do you really need, do you really need this years of experience? Do they really need to have come from this industry? So, yeah, I, I think that's probably, I don't know if I, I've answered that succinctly, but mm-hmm. people just generally kind of almost just thinking that diversity is this thing. Hey, can we get the same thing, but just make sure it's it's a woman or whatever it is you know? <laughs> yeah. that, that is like that is a big big frustration for us and it's, it sounds almost like you're coaching these people to say hey by the way that's you're not going to get it you're just it's not going to be the case so you've also got to think of course with experience a lot of women who are in slightly more senior roles might be a, of that kind of age that they might have taken some time off to care for children or elderly parents and things because a lot of the caretaking roles, unfortunately, still fall down to women in a lot of the ways. So actually, they're going to miss out on years experience at that point, but they still are able and capable to do the job and they still have the potential. So, yeah, it's that education and that coaching to go, well, you know, can you look at this in a slightly different way, perhaps? Yeah, and I would even like, yeah, education, coaching. I would almost say that, that our job more often than not is just to like hold up like a mirror and reflect back some things to the, what tends to happen is, you know, a top-down instruction, we need more diverse candidates. It goes from the CEO to the manager, it goes to the talent team, it goes to, it then goes to us as the external recruiter. And we're like, well, hey, hang on a sec, what are you doing to attract these types of people? It's not a case of like you just wanting them and they're, oh, well, please, can we come work for you? It's, <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? You're right. So if you want a, if you, if you want a diverse leadership team, it tends to be that, that leaders obviously will be more experienced in their career. As you get more experience in your career, the chances are you will have a family. So, yeah, what, what does your maternity pay look like? What does your paternity pay look like? What, do, like, what policies do you have that would attract these type of people to work mm, for you? Mm. Um, and it's more than, you know, our job before people sometimes within the business are kind of too scared to say, well, what are we doing? And then this kind of like hot potato gets passed on. And I've seen in my experience in recruitment that it goes to the recruitment agency and they go, OK, yeah, like, fine. Yeah, like, you know, we'll, 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 we'll go out and we'll try to find you more women, let's say that's not what the issue is the issue is is like why do these people want to work for you you know mm. if you are struggling to hire people that that yeah that aren't white well what does your leadership look like why, why would these people want to work for your company why do they want to come in and be the only like the only person 
So it's kind of like our job is to hold a mirror back and just say, well, it's not about you wanting this thing. Like, what are you doing as a company? Yeah. yeah like, and, and, and more often than not as well, like for, for us, like everybody's got a DE&I policy. So like, let, cool, let's forget about the DE&I policy. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to the hiring manager? Like, what does this really mean to you? And getting some stuff in between, in between the lines that we can talk to people about. And so, yeah, like, I, I guess our job is, is, I would say, more, you know, coaching, like education. It's really just to hold a mirror back and just sort of say, well, hang on a sec, actually, it's not about you wanting these people. It's why would they want you? So what, you know, what can we, yeah, what, what are you offering? Yeah, yeah. And I think, Danielle, you, you kind of mentioned earlier about this idea that people will, are more likely now to work for organisations that have a very strong DEI strategy. They're actually yep. doing some actionable things and making a difference. And I mean, the statistic a couple of years ago, I think it was a McKinsey report was about 67% of millennials will decide whether or not to take a role depending on that. And I, it's obviously a lot higher now because people have much more of a social conscience. We're so much more aware now of, oh, hold on, just because our families and, and our generations before have been treated this way or have had to work really hard and that's just what's expected kind of thing. It doesn't have to be the way in which people enter the working world. It doesn't have to be the way in which we progress through now. Mm. So I do think that there's there's something in that concept and, and that holding the mirror up and saying, what are you offering is an action that's more than a DEI strategy, like you say. It's more than some words on the website and some some kind of stock pictures of, of lots of different looking people high-fiving each other. <laughs> a lot more than that now. Yeah. And yeah. Just a couple more questions then. So what do you think, okay, now what do you wish employers understood better about the way in which they recruit in general? Well, Danielle, you raised something I'd say I talked the other day, which I think is one of the most important things to understand and which is kind of linked to the thing we were before. It's like you are not doing, again, quotation marks, diverse candidates a favour by hiring them. You need them in your business. And therefore, it goes back to what, what we were saying, which is like, it's not a case of like, yeah, you are. You, this is not a charity. This is not you doing a favour to anybody. Mm-hmm. And if you do have that mindset, I can assure you these people are not going to stay with you for very long. That is just the completely wrong way to think about it. So like Daniel raised this the other day, like as I said to you before, if we are not able to create an environment in our office where we, we can like <laughs> harvest or harness um, like talent, then we are missing out as a business. Like we need these people. We need to create a good environment for them. Like that is like, that's so integral to us as a business. So I would just say like that, that kind of like mindset is, is, is so important. Yeah, no, I'd I'd hundred percent agree, and I think that that sentiment and that um, point that I raised at the the panel talk um, really comes from a, a place of experience as well. I've often been made to feel like I've been that I should be grateful to be there because I'm a, some kind of like token hire, or that I um, owe the employer or or manager something because they're doing me a favor when actually like I'm highly skilled at what I do. I can do things across many disciplines and yeah, I'm just shit hot at like <laughs> what, I, what I do. But, um, and I was talking to, to someone quite senior 
about this. And it's something that I think has been recorded recently, but they're, they're seeing a trend in black women where they progress to uh, mid-level and then they, they fall off. And obviously there's, lo- you know, you can't, you know, data can only tell you so much. There's loads of different factors in that, you know, it could be maternity, uh, it could be, you know, many other reasons, but in every organization um, or most organizations I've worked in, you know, when I've spoken to friends that come from the same background as myself, um, it's, it's pretty much, you know, the same across the board where black women just don't seem to be progressing past a certain, a certain stage. And then that can only make you feel as a black person, black woman or a black person make you start to believe Mm. that you are just there to tick a box and, and you are seen as some kind of charity case rather than a valued employee Mm. that deserves to be, to progress and be a a valued part of, of, of the organization. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's answered the question. I feel like I've gone. No, do you know what? I just, <laughs> there's so many things that just come into my head then. Um, and I know we haven't got much time left, but there's something there about that limiting belief that somebody has put on you when you go into an organization where they're kind of like, oh, you're a token hire. And they might not say it outwardly, but their micro behaviors or whatever it might be and the language that people use will make you feel that way so then what happens is we might then naturally put um, a limit on our own so we might not then be able to reach our full potential you know and be as amazing as we are in those spaces and I think that's very clear right then people go off and they're fantastically talented in an organization that does make them feel included Mm -hmm. and then you've got that limiting belief of you know that example there of black women getting to those middle positions but actually then dropping off at that point you're a young black woman coming into an organization, you see that happening, well, you're going to stop yourself from trying too hard subconsciously because, well, what's the point kind of thing? Or you try even harder, you use all your energy Mm. and then you just burn out. So I just think there's so, it's just so interesting. I'd be really interested to see some of that data because it's definitely it supports the narrative of the conversations I'm having with people. Um, And like, you're right, you can't look at data by itself, but when you pull it all together with lots of different things, there's a very, very obvious story being told there. So I think the work that you're both doing and, and in general, when people are talking about this more, making it much less taboo to talk about, ultimately what we're doing then is we're removing some of those barriers and slowly taking down that, that kind of um, that wall. Okay, just just to finish us off then, I want to ask you for one piece of advice or one suggestion that you would give to employers who wanted to start thinking a little bit differently about the way that they hire. So um, I'll I'll go to whoever first. I won't put anyone on the spot. Um, I'll jump in with two things straight away. So one is, is, is to go back on what we just said, which is a mindset change. Like you're not doing anyone a favor. So therefore what you're doing to attract these types of people, that's like number one before anything. Um, I then think that you then have to, <laughs> you can't think of, of diverse candidates again in the quotation marks, people can't see the camera. So um, yeah. <laughs> it's like one, like 
set of people that you can solve with one like one solution like what attracts like female leaders into the business is going to be different from what attracts you know um young people um from london that yeah they're, they're non, non-white londoners or whatever is going to attract if you have neurodiversity you have to look at your interview process what are you asking the candidates to do who is this going to benefit what is the prep are you springing things on people in the interview process are you, is there a panel of like four people like interviewing this one person like there is no one size fits all and you have to really think okay like if you change your mindset then hopefully all of those things should benefit from that but you know there's so many different factors to this that there isn't like this one solution there isn't like yeah put a dni policy on our website and hopefully that will stuff you have to look at your interview process you have to look at who's conducting the interviews you have to look at what traits you're looking for you have to look at your policies your working from home policies your maternity policies so many different things you have to look at and that's completely the opposite of what you've asked me but i guess it all goes back to like you have to change your mindset like you have to there is no silver bullet if you change your mindset then all of the the good things will follow afterwards because you will look at your interview process you will look at who's conducting your hiring you will look at how you've worded things in your job spec but it all starts from a mindset change yeah yeah and i've got that mirror concept again nobody can see what i'm doing but i'm holding up my hand as a mirror but um you've got that mirror concept i think that goes into that really nicely which is you know stop thinking about candidates as um lucky to work for you start thinking about well, how can we harvest or harness their talent um and make them see what it's worth what we're offering to them definitely and you have to like even for me like i, I didn't go to uni i dropped out of school early but i was incredibly lucky to sound look and be from the same area as my ceo so therefore i was given all the confidence all the room to make mistakes all the stuff to be successful and you have to normally look back and go oh, actually hang on a sec like would that have happened if some circumstances had been different no it wouldn't so i've been really benefited so i've benefited from that and therefore you know i see my job as a boss well i need to give that confidence and that room to fail to everybody that works for me not just people you know everyone has biases for people that sound and look like them if daniel meets someone from streatham if i meet someone from bromley if zoe you meet someone that you, you have like this thing where automatically you know you're like hey oh you know you've got this kind of like imaginary connection but you just yeah. have to make sure there's nothing wrong with that connection you just have no. to make sure you give it to everybody else mm. you know there is nothing there really is no wrong with making a connection quickly with people you just have to make sure you're not just doing it with those people you're doing it to everyone yeah, yeah. And, and being aware of that affinity bias as well is really important but yeah, yeah. Okay, Danielle, one piece of advice or suggestion from you and from your perspective. Yeah, so I think Ben, uh, like, pretty much said a lot of the things that I I obviously agree with and I I would have said as well. So the only thing really I can add to that is just keep educating yourself. Do as much reading, as much research as possible into different cultures and different areas and things that you wouldn't necessarily look into. Obviously, uh, my experiences of a black mixed race woman, you know, working class, Windrush generation, like I, that, you know, I know enough about that. So, okay, what do I need to do now in terms of education? I need to look at the LGBTQ plus community. I need to look at, you know, neurodiversity. I need to look at all the different areas that don't, 
apply to me and educate myself in those areas. I think other people need to be as curious about those areas, especially if you're a business owner or a leader or a manager, you need to be curious about those areas. And also you need to just keep educating yourself and not putting the responsibility of education on the underrepresented people in your organisation because that only leads to burnout, that leads to people feeling tokenized, people feeling alienated. So yeah, that, that would be my one bit of advice. Yeah. That's a great piece and, of advice. And, and just to add to what Daniel says, like, yeah, no, no, nobody's perfect with this. There's like, you can't, there's no getting it right. It is completely a journey of trying to get things right. And therefore, like, yeah, we like we will never ever proclaim that we're perfect. Like, no, <laughs> far from it. What we will proclaim is we will always try our best to understand and and be better. That is what we can commit to, and that's what we try to do every day. But there's no way, like, oh my god, like, of course, everyone's going to get stuff wrong. Like, yeah. And and I guess that's like you, you you were talking earlier about people getting to a certain level and then dropping off. Everybody has to be given room to fail and then become better. And if certain people aren't given the room to fail or if they're struck off and they're failing straight away, then like, yeah, that's just, and no one's ever going to succeed. So yeah, you can't be, can't be afraid to like get stuff wrong. You have to just commit to be better and constantly learn. Yeah. yeah. And you can't wow. have one, one standard for one group, like adding on to yourself about giving people the room to fail. You can't have one level expectation for one group of people and having a completely different level of expectation for, for another because that is just that is just unfair and you're never going to create an equal playing field if you're you know yeah if you're treating people unfairly yeah wow thank you that was um that was like the the perfect end I think to this I think there's been some really good insights in here I think our listeners are going to get something from this and and we love that employers come and listen to these because it means that they can hear it from a different perspective they can hear it from an outside agency, but also people that have experienced these things. And I think that there's something really powerful in in knowledge. You know, they say knowledge is power and, and they're not wrong, whoever they are. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed this. Hope you have too. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thank you, Zoe. Thanks, Zoe. I'll see, see you soon. soon. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. I could have spoken to Danielle and Ben probably for another few hours, and I'm sure you probably could have listened to them as well. I think you probably heard how excited and engaged and passionate they are with regards to really helping people to find meaningful work, but also really starting to change the way people think about potential and experience and the way in which we can recruit and really start to open up to more diverse groups of people that perhaps we hadn't have thought about before. Hopefully if you're an employer listening to this you've had really great insight into what it's like in the recruitment field and also some really great ideas on how you can really start to make a difference in the work that you're doing as well. So thank you so much for listening, we will see you on the next one.